You're listening to The Jim Laird Show on Body IO FM, where health and performance collide with your host, Jim Laird. Hello and welcome to another edition of The Jim Laird Show brought to you by Body IO FM. I'm your host, Jim Laird. Today on the line, we have Mr. Ryan Patrick, also known as uh, Snuggles. And we might get into that story later. We'll see how comfortable he is with it. But I've known Ryan for forever, okay? And Ryan has a studio in northern Kentucky. And um, Ryan, when did I when did I meet you at LAC? Was it 2005, six? six? Yeah. I think around 2006, yeah. Yeah, and, and Ryan is a, a really incredibly smart uh, dude, and um, he uh, has a very, very uh, practical way of applying very complicated information and, and, and simplifying things, and he works with a ton of general population people, and he's super well-organized, which I'm not. Um, and um, Ryan, why don't you just give us a brief little synopsis? And, and Ryan also is one of the naturally – just strongest natural lifters I've ever been around. Like this dude back in the day in like probably 07, 08, when I was at my strongest, beat me in a Zercher pin pole competition with a cambered bar, um, which I still am trying to deal with that. But, uh, <laughs> you know, weighed probably, you know, 70 pounds less than I did at the time. But, uh, you know, great all-around athlete, moves well, good power lifter, good strongman competitor, super well-balanced, family guy, has, you know, a bunch of kids and a wife and all that stuff, so finds great balance. So I think you guys will be able to learn a lot from him being on here. So, Ryan, why don't you give us a little bit of context of who you are and where you've you've come from? Yeah, I think first, uh, I think the Cambridge Bar event was officially called the French Toast Open, so I know... Before before I was aware that I was a celiac. <laughs> yeah, pre uh, pre uh, near death experience, Jim Laird. So that's when you were that was when you were really grinding hard. Um, yes. Yeah. So a little bit about me. I run um, a studio in Northern Kentucky called Peak Fitness and Sports Training, or Peak Fast for short. We work with uh, mostly Gen Pop people who are um, seem to always have some kind of ailment. So you know, a hip, a shoulder, a back. The perfectly healthy in shape person um, isn't our primary clientele and um, we have a lot of athletes too so uh, primarily female athletes which I think is just an extension of working with you for so many years and picking that up and um, yeah it's a little bit about me so I'm, I'm I'm a husband I'm a dad of five so definitely a lot of competing commitments in my life but I still like to train and compete um, most recently I did a powerlifting meet set some PRs in uh, my squat with 500 and my deadlift with 655 in the 90 kilo class and then my head coach Ben and I just did a strongman uh, team event yesterday where we we took first place in the middleweight so quite a bit of fun and just some skullduggery nice the the question is are there actually uh, perfectly fit and in shape people out there I I haven't seen uh, very many of those in my career Um, have you (laughs) No. Um, <laughs> and yeah. usually the people that we think that are in shape are, um, 
are usually struggling just as much as the people that are general population. They're just better at cheating and getting working around it. Yeah, the the best athletes are always the best compensators. So they know how to to leverage their strengths, you know, and and work around any limitations they do have. And I mean, you know, it's not always optimal. And I think that's part of what you know our job is is really making sure people move well and efficient, that they're durable. But um, yeah, I mean, they're just they're the complete anomaly. And you know, most of those people don't really seek out trainers because they don't need them. Right. Um, the reason I, I wanted to have Ryan on today is um, he shared a, a thing on Instagram about a program he was doing after his powerlifting meet to restore some variability. And so we've got this, this, this conundrum, spectrum, whatever you want to use, of specificity versus variability. And, you know, when you have a high-level athlete, someone who's trying to set a record in something – you want them to have a high level of specific skill. And you know, one of the things that I did wrong in my powerlifting career is I didn't really, you know, I was doing a West Side barbell approach. And so right after the meet, I would dive right back into my powerlifting training. I wouldn't really take breaks. Um, if you look at the Russians, the way they set things up, like their weightlifters would actually come off all their drugs. They would, uh, you know, play ping pong. They'd get away from the barbell. They'd do some of their old gymnastics stuff. They'd do some different activities to kind of let their body kind of reset emotionally, all this stuff. And I would dive right back into, you know, going as heavy and as hard as I could. And it obviously didn't work out well in the long run. With my girls from years ago, I figured out that, you know, training girls for powerlifting year round wasn't a wise decision. So there was a, you know, it was good to have them do some athletic things and give them a break from lifting heavy weights and all that kind of thing. So I've been employing that with, with my girls um, since I started the, the women's powerlifting stuff back in like 08. But um, Ryan, why don't you share a little bit about your overall philosophy in that program and what you're trying to accomplish and, and what that kind of looks like uh, for the normal folk Sure. Yeah, I, I think first the the road to hell is paved with good intentions. So if you are an athlete who's trying to set, you know, national, state, even world records, you know, it there's just a certain mentality that you have to have to be able to jump back into that training and and continue to push. And I think part in part it's necessary to achieve at a high level in anything. Um, but what I found is, you know, it just it can lead to breakdown over time. And there were some some obvious changes, you know, in my performance and pain and physique, posture, I mean, you name it, that that were coming as a as a consequence of doing the meat preparation. So I would start anywhere from 12 to 16 weeks out. And, you know, as it starts to get to where you're, you know, above 85, 90 percent week in, week out, it just wasn't there for me every week. So. I remember um, prepping for one meet, there was a, a week I couldn't even budge, 495 in the deadlift. And then I came back the next week and hit 635 for a pretty fast single. So I just noticed my body was, you know, just a lot of things you have to recover from. So once the meet's over, I always like to just go back and start to restore some function, restore a little bit of variability. And for those not really familiar with what the term variability means you know in, in a movement perspective i'm looking to to restore more more normal joint range of motion so making sure that you know specifically i have hip internal rotation that i can reach my arms above my head without compensating through the lumbar or flaring 
flaring my ribs. Um, those are probably the two most basic examples. And I also want to store some um, variability in terms of energy systems. So going back and starting to develop the aerobic base and, you know, in a roundabout way, we're just trying to broaden the base of the pyramid so that I have more potential in, in subsequent preparation. Um, and I've made mistakes with that too, becoming too variable and getting too far away from strength. I think when you look at powerlifting, it's kind of unique because you're really only driving one biomotor um, adaptation, and that is strength. When I talk about variability with athletes, say a soccer player, you know they've got to they've got to run um, for distance. They got to be able to sprint, cut. Um, you know, even kicking a ball is is rotational in nature, and you just don't have a lot of that in powerlifting. So, you know, the the variability that's necessary to stay healthy for a power lifter is much different than what it would be for an athlete. But, you know, basically what we do is um, I'm a sumo puller, so I go back to some trap bar, some conventional style pulling, and, you know, try to bring in my squats by doing some front squats, um, whether it's two kettlebell or the safety squat bar front squats. And, you know, starting to bump the reps up, seeing if I can get more capacity, seeing if I can, you know, move the bar at a higher rate of speed, and then we'll start to add some aerobic methods back in as well. So that doesn't mean running per se, although I might use some tempo intervals. Um, but we might use tempo lifting. We might use some high-intensity continuous training. Just a lot of low-level stuff to allow my body to restore some function, have some um, variability in terms of my energy systems, and also you know what my movement cache is. So a lot of unilateral stuff, reaching, rowing. Um, that's it in a nutshell. Yeah, that's very well put, and I, I mean, that's a. And the problem is, I think there's you've got two extremes where you have people that are trying to set a specific goal that have too much variability, and then you've got the people on the other side who are trying to set a specific goal and they don't have any variability. Um, you know, and so you almost have to earn the right. And let's talk about this a little bit with general population and how you approach that. We have yeah. people that come in that can't do a push-up, can't, you know, get in a good position. Um, you know, you could argue that these people need to do a ton of correctives and they need to spend all their time learning how to, you know, exhale, set positions and all these sort of things. How do you get people to move better and still make them feel like they're training? <laughs> That's the million dollar question. I think it's, it, you know, the way we approach it here is, is we've, I've been guilty of going, you know, really far down the corrective, corrective rabbit hole, if you will. Um, I know when the FMS kind of came on the scene, I got super into it and, you know, uh, coaches be damned if I, if I let anybody do a swing or a deadlift who didn't have a, at least a two on their active straight leg raise and was symmetrical side to side. Um, so, you know, I'd spent a ton of time doing correctives, and, and really the issue is people were not getting a training effect. Um, they might move better, but, right. you know, for somebody who's who's got a substantial amount of weight to lose, I think losing weight's probably their best mobility exercise, to be honest. Um, so we have to find ways to sneak in what we want from these breathing drills and these correctives into almost every every segment of the program so we've in some ways minimized our you know our resets and our correctives to the things we feel are the most essential and then we've tried to carry that 
you know, through the entire program. So, you know, we might do a breathing drill or two, but we're very clear to our clients that, you know, the things you're learning here are going to be, you know, sequenced and progressed throughout the workout. So if I want a ribs down position in the warm up because they're, they're walking in with, you know, a ton of pelvic tilt, their ribs are flared out, they look stressed because they've been sitting in traffic after an eight hour workday, you know, I need to use that reset even if it's 10 breaths, just to get them to wipe the slate clean and actually put their body in a position to start training. Then we might go to reactive work. Well, you know, if they're doing a tall kneeling med ball throw, I want them to demonstrate that they can produce power from that position of ribs down and hips under them. So again, just reinforcing it without necessarily staying on the ground for 45 minutes. And then as we go to squats or you know, some dumbbell bench presses. We're, again, looking to maintain that position and just challenge it. Um, I would say our f- with Gen Pop, our first program, you know, is a lot of basics for a lot of people. They've just got to demonstrate at least some baseline competency. Um, and it's not going to get perfect. You know, posture doesn't change all the time as quickly as we'd like it. I mean, somebody can do a good job within a session, but, you know, two days later when they come back yep. in to train, train again, it might look terrible so i mean there's there's a lot or of things even, or even during the session i mean yeah. somebody might be totally good and be able to control their position at the beginning of the session and then at the end of the session they they just a total shit show you know yeah. oh gosh it breaks down i mean they just have no capacity first of all so once they start to approach fatigue i mean they just they go right back to their you know sagittal orientation and and that and that's okay, you know. To some degree, I'm I'm fine with that. I'm not as much of a Nazi about it as I used to be because I do want people to train. But, you know, we're gonna start with a breathing drill. We're gonna end with a breathing drill, and everything in between needs to to mirror those positions that we want, um, within a certain range. Now, somebody who's got pain, I might have a a tighter yes. leash on how much um, how much I let them get out of position. Somebody who's healthy and strong, well, you know, they're gonna they're going to extend a little bit more to, to accommodate, you know, the weights that they're pushing or, you know, to drive performance. And it's just, I think understanding that, um, you know, and again, I've been too corrective and oh my God, you know, you're, you extended a little bit on your squat. Let's get down between sets and do, you know, X, Y, and Z corrective. And by the time they get back under the bar, they're completely cooled off. And, you know, an hour goes by and they've done 12 reps total. Well, that's not really a training session and nobody's got time for that kind of stuff. Sure. And, you know, I think also exercise selection too, because I'll get, I'll be with people to come in here that want a power lift and they've done a little bit on their own and they're just in a really, you know, bad position. And instead of just totally trying to rebuild them from the ground up, we might pick sandbag squats or, you know, we might squat with a safety bar or, and, and over the weeks and over time, their position gets better and better every week. And, and, you know, we're still getting a training effect. We're still getting stronger. Uh, and their position is improving week by week by week. Um, you know, you you talked about, I think this is something that gets really overlooked. You talked about, you know, one week you couldn't pull 495 and the next week you're pulling 600. Um, I think people get so caught up in the daily performance. Um, they don't understand um how much the human organism can vary in its ability to produce, you know, force and outcome and demonstrate fitness day to day. And uh, could you talk a little bit about your experience with that? Yeah, um, I know 
Ty, Ty Terrell and um, Tony, who did some of the velocity-based training through IFAST, they talked about a study where, you know, there was an 18% variation in your your one RM on any given day. Yep. So, I mean, that's that's enormous, especially when you start approaching big weights. And and believe me, not that mine are huge, but they're they're more than the average person. That's that's a huge variation. And so if if it's not there one day or the bar feels heavy and it's not moving, um, you know, you have to you have to accommodate that and, and meet your body where it's at on some level. Now, there are days where maybe you're a little tired and you, know, you just need to start training to get over the hump. But sorry about that. <laughs> no, it's all good. I was trying to pull my calculator up on my phone to give people kind of a difference, like a understanding of what 18 percent means. Yeah. And for some reason, uh, this YouTube video I was watching before decided <laughs> to start up. So go ahead. I, Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, it's good. Just kind of like coming in through the, the fog machine or something. <laughs> Just really <laughs> yeah, set me up. We should have done that in the beginning. <laughs> um, yeah, 18% is huge. So, I mean, I don't I don't know what that is on, you know, a 600-pound deadlift, but that's a huge swing. And um, I think... I just I think people have to know have to train smart. They have to meet their body where it's at. There are times to push and and to try and get through. But if you're going by strict percentages, I mean the organism doesn't adapt in this linear fashion. There are you know peaks and valleys, and there's so many factors that affect fatigue, um, even non-physical things. So emotional, financial stress. Those are all huge variables in terms of how you're going to perform on any given day. So, you know, as a coach, I have to watch out for that. If, if somebody's not there, I don't want to, I don't want to push the numbers and, and risk injury. Right. Um, but again, if it's supposed to be a planned deload week and they're just crushing it and everything looks fresh, well, you know, I might take advantage of that and, and push it a little bit more than, than we had expected to. So, um, yeah, it's kind of the biggest thing I, have to, I think to say about that. Well, on a 600 pound deadlift, 18% is 108 pounds. So, yeah. you know, which, which talks, you know, you talk about you struggling with 495 uh, one day and then pulling 600 the next week. And that, that basically falls, you know, right into that, you know, that's right on the money. So you were, you were maxed out on that day. Well, and, and people don't realize too, certain, certain exercises are much more neurologically demanding than others, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, when you deload, you know, if you get the bar out of your hands, um, you can still do other exercises to, 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 for strength. Um, that's one of the reasons I got the belt squat here. Um, you can still train fairly hard and heavy. A lot of it is just getting the bar off your spine and getting the bar out of your hands. And, um, you know, so there's all sorts of different ways to, uh, to skin a cat, so to speak. Yeah. With powerlifting, I mean, you're constantly loading the axial skeleton. You got a bar on your back, you got a bar in your hands. Um, you know, even your accessory work, you're doing Romanian deadlifts, you're doing a, a second variation of squat. There's the exercise selection is not huge because I mean again, it's it's coming down to you have to be right. specific in three lifts. And, you know, for me as a sumo puller, my squat and my deadlift have a, a little bit more carryover even more so than somebody who pulls conventional. So yep. you know, I I think I'm even a little bit more specific in that way. So yeah, absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about um, lifestyle and habit change and and those sort of deals. Um, uh, and I think you can you can really talk about this because you have you know you're 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 married to a lady that has a very successful business. You've got five five children between the two of you, and um, 
you know, what what kind of emphasis do you put on lifestyle and and habit change and and uh, outside of the gym when you're when you're working with people when they come and see you? Well, with our clients specifically, I think a lot of them can relate. You know, most of our clients are busy parents um, or they're they're busy professionals, so they're traveling. They're not always at home, so you have just the stress of travel. You're exposed to more uh, germs traveling. You have less than optimal access to to healthy food. Um, some of them are just not even savvy enough to to know how to order at restaurants to to get what they want so for us it it is a cornerstone of of what we want i tell everybody you know exercise is it's fantastic you know there are health benefits independent of nutrition in terms of you know impacting motivational centers in the brain in terms of you know increasing you know bdnf to help lay down new patterns new habits new rituals so the exercise is a huge piece but you know, a lot of our clients would benefit from dropping some body fat and you just, you have to start to eat better and you have to start to recover better and you have to do all the little things outside of here that, that are going to help you. And so our quest mainly is to find what are the highest leverage habits that we can do with people that feel easy, that are actually going to help drive change. Um, and that's always a challenge because it's different for everybody. You know, some people need more, more control of, you know, their sleep and, you know, how they wind down at night and how they ramp themselves up. And other people might need, you know, just some more low level activity to help create a little more parasympathetic tone. And other people might be as simple as starting to eat more protein or drink more water. I mean, it's, it, it definitely varies person to person, but we've all got things that are going to provide the most leverage to get us to the goals that we want to achieve. Absolutely. Talk about, you know, I've known you for a long time now and I've watched you evolve as a coach. How do you feel you've evolved? How has your perspective changed since you first started in, you know, like 05, 06, sure. uh, being at the University of Kentucky to 2018 being a, a business owner? Oh my gosh. Is that, that's, is that a tough question? <laughs> no, I mean, I can dive into it a little bit. So, you know, I always, I always thought it was somewhat of a weakness. You know, now there's, there's an infinite number of, um, mentorship programs that, that guys can be a part of. And I guess part of me was just stubborn where, you know, I got to, to work with you for a couple of years at Kentucky and then I went to Colorado for graduate school. And, you know, I just thought I was like, yeah, I'll do this myself and figure it out. And I'm lucky enough on the way to have had great coaches, great mentors to guide me through, but I didn't have any of those, you know, semester long immersions with coaches who were doing what I wanted to do. So a lot of it was just trial and error, trying to figure things out. And, you know, when I think when you're first getting into it, um, you just, you know, as a beginner, you don't know a lot of, you know, you do a, some kind of pushing exercise, you do some kind of pulling exercise. And as you become more confident, you feel like you've got a million options. And, you know, at this intermediate level, there's just, there's so many choices. And then, you know, the longer I'm in the game, it just seems it gets a little bit more vanilla, but, you know, we, we do the basics. We do, um, what is brilliant at the basics. That's kind of our, our motto. So, you know, my program's not, there's not a lot of flair to it. There's there's not a lot of bells and whistles. It's just doing the basics really well. And, you know, I think that's been probably the biggest evolution is just simplifying stuff the longer I'm in it. Yeah. 
I agree. I think it's almost harder to become a coach now because there's all this these different, you know, when I started, you know, of course I had a powerlifting, you know, background and that has its own um, limitations that it all sure. itself. But, you know, you've got speed experts, you've got breathing people, you've got PRI, you've got FMS, you've got S- FSMA, you've got DSN, you've got, I mean, everybody's got their own little specialist. You've got McGill, you've got other people telling you to rotate the spine. You've got people telling you to just keep your spine stiff. You've got people telling you, you know, there's so much information out there. Um, I think, you know, as a coach, it's, it's absolutely, I remember when I went, you know, to my, when I, one of my first experiences doing some of Bill, like going to one of Bill Hartman's seminars, mm-hmm. my head hurt for two weeks after that. Oh, and I was just so confused. And, you know, it's, I think it's even more difficult now than it was when we first, you know, when I got, got into it in 1997, it was like, okay, we do RDLs, we, we, we carry things, we, we squat, we lunge. And, mm-hmm. you know, that got a lot of people better. Yep. Um, but then as time went on, the more I got into this, I realized, I realized that the less I know and the more overwhelmed I got and you battle with, okay, I just learned these new things. I'm going to implement them with everyone. It's just, I think today there's so much information out there and there's so many competing ideologies yeah. that it's just coaches can just all of a sudden just be blown all over the place based on new information coming out. And it's just, they never really... Um, and I think the population now is a lot more, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Less resilient, deconditioned, zoo yeah. animal-ish. Like when, we, when I was starting out in the early 90s, like most of the kids did manual labor. They played different sports. They, they were more resilient. They pushed a know, lawnmower up a hill. Yeah, they were pushing lawnmowers around. They were playing pickup basketball outside in the summer times. Now we got kids that play one sport and they sit on their ass all day in front of a tablet and they're playing like, you know, uh, video games that connect via Wi-Fi with all their friends. So their their capacity is super low. They don't move well. They don't have a movement library. Um, so it's 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 I think the organism we're working with is less durable and the selection of things that we can do with people are just it's just insane. So I think it's actually much harder to become a coach now than it is when we started. It is. I mean, there's, there's a ton of guys I know. And, you know, if you're young in this game, I think, you know, there's, there's just abundant opportunity to get right to the heart of, of great information. Um, and when you don't know what you don't know, it's just easy to take what any expert says is, is fact. You don't, you don't quite have that filter yet, you know, over time and exposure, you start to learn how to filter this information out and, and who's full of shit and who's not. And I think that's really valuable. But I think what a lot of young guys are missing, as smart as they are, and some of them can probably talk circles around both of us with anatomy or PRI or brain you know, neurochemistry, um, they just don't practice on real humans. And, yeah. and see what these variations are because, you know, that's part of the reason I put those programs out there on Instagram and what kind of spawned this whole conversation is, you know, we, we talk in theory and we get all these, you know, perfect scenarios. But when you're actually coaching, like you rarely come across something that is, you know, textbook, perfect. Everyone's got going to present with something unique that you have to learn how to work around as a coach. It might be some behavioral issue. It might be some movement um 
strategy that you've never seen or no one's ever talked about and you know you have no idea how to correct. <laughs> but I think if you're safe and you're intelligent, you use, you know, a smart training approach, you can still get people really good results. You know, there 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 are people I look back on now, you know, who had winging scapula and we did, you know, bajillion serratus exercises and I'm like, God, it didn't help them at all. And you know, now I know like, gosh, we could have just taught him how to breathe like now i have that strategy but you know at the time if i would have or a static bear hold yeah you know at the time if if i would have just been too chicken shit to just get in there and and apply my knowledge and try to help people i would have never come across that stuff eventually and i think every coach should get coached um and i think they should learn from people who have different opinions so that they can really test this information in the real world and, and see what they they find to work best for them, see what, you know, what truths are consistent across multiple disciplines and how they can start to integrate all that. But, you know, there's just not enough of that. We've got too many people that, you know, have every certification, but have 20 hours, you know, of experience (laughs) on the floor. Sure. Well, and I really appreciate, you know, my last podcast with Pat Davidson, he talked about, you know, if you can get a motor moron, which, honestly to be brutally honest most people that come in today are because they don't have you know a good phys ed background they didn't play outside if you can get them to be half competent at you know the basic fundamental things um then you're 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 a decent coach and and i think um you know that's something that 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 most people just completely don't even consider you know and how hard it is to get somebody who didn't move a lot as a child or has that movement library to get them to do what you need them to do in a way that's fun in a way that's going to keep them coming back year after year after year like and your ability to interact and your people skills you know like it doesn't matter how smart you are and you know knowing all this anatomy and physiology and fancy terminology and if you can't relate to people and have them like you like you're pissing into the wind you know it's just you're gonna get some piss on your leg i mean that's just the way it goes (laughs) so yeah yeah. there's a there's a clear difference when we have clients walk in i can tell if somebody was athletic ever versus somebody who was who has never been active their entire life you know the former athletes they pick stuff up they they can learn new movements they they have some baseline movement cash that they can draw from and people who have not moved um you know it's terrible there's just certain things you you're probably never going to be able to get a 50 year old to do who's never been active in their entire life they are not going to pick up those movement patterns as quickly or as efficiently as somebody who has been active um you know, but we see a lot of people that are 50 and I mean, they haven't jumped in 30 years and I'm talking about just onto a six inch curb. Right. You know, and teaching them to even apply that much force to the ground is crazy. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a huge amount of force for them, but you know, I feel like it's something that's really necessary. Absolutely. Or, or, you know, being able to catch yourself, you know, like if you trip. Oh yeah. You know, like you're putting people into awkward, awkward situations, awkward positions, I mean, I can pick an athlete out as soon as they walk in the door. You know, when somebody calls me to set up an assessment, they're like, yeah, my son's a such and such or my daughter's a such and such and they want to do this and this and this and they walk in the door. I can pretty much be like, yeah, yeah, you can you could probably do that. But and then the the other side of it is, no, 
no, you, you pretty much you're you, you don't have a chance. You know, it's it's <laughs> it's just like you can see an athlete moves a certain way and carries themselves in a different in a certain way. What have you learned? Um, like you're a super busy dude. You got a lot of things going on. Like, what are the things that allow you to, you know, be a be a good dad and still train and still you know have a successful business with employees? Like, what are some of the strategies that you have adopted to um, to help you with that? Yeah. So this has been kind of a huge area for me. Um, you know, my twins just turned three. We've got three older ones. Um, they're my wife's from her first marriage. I call them the bonus kids, but they're 17, <laughs> 15, and and 12. And so they've kind of got their their own agenda, but they still have a lot of places to be. And you know, two of them don't drive yet, so we have to to figure that out. But I consider myself very much a student of fatherhood and, and to try to figure out how to balance all of this stuff. So, you know, part of being a good dad means that I am uh, emotionally invested and connected to my kids when I have time with them. Um, you know, it's just this whole idea of being present um, with them, with my wife, so that I feel like we're actually building our relationship and also making time for myself. You know, everyone says it like, you have to make the time. You're not going to find it. And and even working at a gym, it's hard to find time because, you know, you know, Jim, I mean, we're in there sometimes as early as 5.30, 6 o'clock, and you can be there all day. And sometimes the, the hardest thing to do is to stay at work and, and do what you do for leisure, you know, because you feel like a zoo animal or you just need to get out and have a change of scenery. So I think at this point, the, the strategies that help me most are just being very intentional about what my priorities are. And that is spending time with my family, um, focusing on building my business, and then also focusing on myself. I mean, I, I really enjoy where I'm at physically right now, still competing, still trying to, to push forward. Um, and I think it's something I plan to do for a while. I don't know if I'll, I'll power lift forever, but I think I just enjoy having that option available to me. So sure. I want to just, I just want to continue to push that and, um, you know, it, it's just intense prioritization and saying no to things that really just aren't as important. And, and that's really hard to do for a lot of people. Um, you know, working with gen pop clients, they're, they're not able to say no to certain things and it ends up impacting their whole schedule, how much they can focus on their themselves. And ultimately I think it, it really just crushes their motivation to, to continue to do this. So, um, that would be my advice is you just, you have to be clear about, you know, what you want to do and, um, you know, just not let go. It's, believe me, there's, there was a time when the twins were first born, I struggled to, to make it to the gym two to three days a week. And, you know, now I'm up to five days, six days. And a few of those are just very light intensity where they're more recovery in nature for me. But, you know, it's just, it's just building a rhythm, a routine, and we've kind of found a sweet spot right now. So I'm yeah. sure they'll continue to challenge me as they get older and pick up more activities. But, um, you know, again, it's just, what's the, what's the priority and, and how are you making that happen yeah and, and you're also coming off a really crazy injury too like you know like you what you fractured your leg um yeah playing at the park playing at the park <laughs> like a year ago and then there's yeah. another reason why you need variability so you can play with your children <laughs> yeah um so you don't end up like windler and i back in the day where we're the be the only thing we could do is walk under the squat bar and that's it and then need or, somebody to carry us off the platform or wa or walk like you were constantly under a squat bar that's correct yes <laughs> or, or sleep like you're under a squat bar and that, that can go into our snuggle story but um 
You know, I, and, and you know, I think one of the things that uh, you know we've talked about a ton is I think one of the biggest things gym owners the mistake they they make is they try and be something for everybody. And I think you know, knowing your clientele, knowing who you can work with and who you can't, and who's a good fit for you, who's coachable, mm-hmm. and then going after that client who's a who's a long term client. And then I think, you know, with you, especially you've been super wise in your, in your business and how you've organically grown. And, um, you know, I think a lot of people, they open a gym, they think all these clients are going to come to them and then they have all this overhead and then they have to take anybody, you know? And I I think one of the key, the key things in this business is knowing who your client is and, Mm -hmm. you know, knowing, knowing when to say no, exactly like, like you, 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 you talked about i mean that's super super important and getting yourself in a place where like you can turn people away and you're not going to have to close your doors yeah it takes a long time to get there and i i feel like every couple of years we you know as we learn new things we kind of not really reinvent ourselves but we definitely refine and define who we are as a gym and mm-hmm. and the kind of people we want to be around and it just it makes it a lot easier to to find more people like that you know pat Ted Rigsby, you know, I've worked with him on and off for, for years, probably back from the time I was at UK. And, and he talks about, you know, working with your ideal client, finding the people that you want to work with and who want to learn about the things that are important to you. So I'm sure a lot of your, for example, a lot of your clients, you know, take to the, uh, the recovery side of things and understand the importance of resting and getting light and, you know, training smart and our clients you know very similar we're we're kind of after a lot of the same clientele we want people who you know for us i think our defining thing is i want people who feel like they still got something that they can achieve that they really want to go to that next level and and for them it might be their first step like you know what i'm just not happy with the way life's going and i i really want to do something great um we tend to get a lot of parents i mean ben and i together we're the two main coaches here we have eight kids to get between the two of us <laughs> i i think that's probably more than you know any gym in a hundred mile radius between two people so you yeah. know we under we understand you know the struggles and the demands that parents are under and and also what it means to you know to kind of elevate your own game so that's yeah. that seems to really resonate with our clients and um you know it's who we go after and people who just aren't a good fit they they kind of self-select out of our gym over time. Um, they yep. just don't hang around, and that's totally okay. There's probably other options out there for them. It's just not us. Yeah, absolutely. What's with uh, what's with like really good strength coaches and twins? Like I, you know, there's there's this trend. I, I don't know if it's a it's in the, the DNA or what, but <laughs> uh, there's some really great strength coaches out there that have twins. I'm just curious. <laughs> yeah, Cressy, uh, share that in common. I've never actually yeah. met him, but. Um, yeah, we had some science to help us, so that's, uh, <laughs> that's weird that's science. Part. Yes. Yeah. So well, now that we've uh, we've gone through all that, let's get into some entertainment here. So you you you're affectionately known to me as as Snuggles, and would you like to tell the story, or would 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 you want me to tell the story of Snuggles? I'll tell it, and you you feel free to add details that I okay. may omit either consciously or subconsciously. <laughs> So, gosh, this was probably back 2006, so around the time of the, the French Toast Open. Um, we went to a powerlifting event in Columbus, and um, it was a, I don't, I don't remember what 
Do you remember what organization it was? It was probably, a if it was in Columbus, it was probably IPA. I think it was. Um, and yeah. I remember just like being wear like as many squat suits as you can and like seven bench shirts and yeah. Squat, yeah, I mean like three I, inches high. Yeah. Yeah, I remember uh yeah, it was great. So I'd never been to a powerlifting <laughs> meet, never never seen a squat suit other than, you know, five guys trying to pull you out of one while you're hanging right. on the Smith machine. Yeah. Um so, you know, we're up there, it's kind of a two day event. We're gonna stay at the hotel where they're hosting the meet. Um, Molly Galbraith was with us and I remember, you know, it was the first time I met Louis Simmons and first time Louis met Molly and he liked her. <laughs> yes, very so, much. <laughs> so I forget I forget how this all went down, but uh we had to we had to share share a room and I don't know if they didn't have two queen beds and we had to settle for a king or, or what the deal was, but you and I I think had, we had we had two queen beds in the room. Okay, and there are four guys in there. Was it like Ditas? Was Ditas staying with us too? Yeah, he Beavis. was there. Um, I think Jeremy was with us too. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I think well, it was. I think it was the five of us. If yeah, I correctly. So yeah, kind of a Molly crew, ragtag group of people for sure. Yes. So anyway, you, you and I got to to share a bed, and I guess in the middle of the night, it, I don't know if somebody turned the AC down or or what, but you were kind of the. <laughs> You were the heater that I was snuggling up against. <laughs> yeah, I like wake up in the middle of the night. And I've got this arm and leg over top of me, and I just turn to the side. I'm like, uh, dude, uh, I maybe, appreciate maybe it. Maybe the first and only person to, to make Jim Laird the small spoon. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That was, yeah, the small spoon, but a large spoon. I think I was like probably 285 at the time. Very bloated. And, uh, but yeah, you affectionately been referred to as Snuggles from uh, that day forward, and uh, yeah, it's it's fun, you know, to look back at uh, at those days at LAC. I was actually yesterday I was presenting. Uh, Alan Cress had a little thing called She Lifts Retreat, a uh, mm-hmm. little retreat for women, and and he was nice enough to invite me to speak. And it's really neat to go back into LAC and just look at, you know, all the stuff and, and the great memories of, you know, a lot of great people have come out of there, like Alan and Molly and, and yep. Sarah. You know, Sarah's doing a lot of great work now out in California yeah. and you. And, I mean, there's a lot of really great Freeman, people. Freeman was there Freeman, for a while. Freeman, Freeman came out of there. I mean, there's just some, you know, Stivers, I think, came over a couple times. You know, so there's a lot of really people, uh, people, great people that are doing a lot of great things in this industry that it came out of that 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 place, and so I, I really love going back there and, and uh, checking it out. So, yeah, Lexington's a, a hotbed for some some really good coaches, and um, I, I don't know if you know this, but I always call you the Godfather because I feel like every one of us at some <laughs> point has has been under the tutelage of you and um, good good or bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so. It's well, I, I appreciate that compliment, and uh, and uh, you know, I still, to this day, uh, I'm a little little hurt about being beat in the French Toast Open. But man, we had a we had a lot of really good times, and um, you know, I've always appreciated you, and and super proud of of what you've accomplished, and and how many people that you are uh, helping, and you're putting out such great quality information. And I wish that I was as half as organized as you are. So. Um, I really appreciate you being on the show today, Ryan. And if you could let people know uh, where you are and how they can get a hold of you, um, that would be fantastic. Yeah. So I'm probably on Instagram most these days. It's just at RJ Patrick. And um, 
just got my personal website up and running. So it is coachryanpatrick.com. Excellent. Well, Ryan, once again, thank you so much for, for being on. Thank you, on. Jim. Real, oh, real honor you're to welcome. be on here and chat with you, man. So thank you. Appreciate it. No problem. I know you're a super busy guy. So that's it today for another edition of the Jim Laird Show brought to you by Body IOFM. Please continue to support Kiefer so I can continue to do this show. Have a great day. You've been listening to The Jim Laird Show with your host, Jim Laird. If you'd like to hear more, log on to body.io. Don't miss the next episode of The Jim Laird Show when he'll probably say something inappropriate but unexpectedly insightful. (laughs) 